0: bring it in read option back with you here tuesday february 21st and we're moving on football season behind us we actually are gonna have some football talk on the show today but for the most part we're moving on, football season, awesome football season. Um, you know, I guess if there's any sort of follow-up, wrap-up, clean up stuff that we can do here from the Super Bowl, um, you know, the further along we move from it, the further uh, and, and the more I think what an awesome Super Bowl. You know, um, Mahomes, I mean, the the whole like nobody believing this shit from the Chiefs is just outlandish. Um, but hey, it's <laughs> If if the Bulldogs in Georgia can say, "Hey, nobody believed in us," then I guess just that's just what every athlete or team that wins a championship now is just going to say. It's just everyone's going to say, "Hey, nobody believed in us. We got here, even though it's Patrick Mahomes is the Chief. He's been the favorite to win the Super Bowl for like the last, or at least one of the top two favorites for the last five years." So let's you know let's all tone that down a little bit. But um, I mean, yeah, just an unbelievable, unbelievable game um, since we last talked. Uh, Gannon Steichen both gone from the Eagles we have Eric enemy leaving the Kansas City Chiefs to be an offensive coordinator for the Washington Commanders um, the only thing I can think of is there's a massive bag being thrown at him which also um, and I hope to have a, a buddy of mine who, who works uh, for the DC local terrestrial radio um, talks all things Washington sports hopefully I'm going to have him on Denton Day, been on the pod before. Hopefully, we are going to have him on later this week uh, to break down some of this next thing. But uh, I'm curious here with Biennemi the going there, definitely got a massive bag. It wasn't just, oh, a fresh start. You don't leave Patrick homes for that. Um, maybe Ronda Rivera's on the way out. I don't know. But more importantly, ownership, uh, we didn't forget about that. Um, and from my sourcing and stuff I've heard, You're going to hear probably by the league new year, Dan Snyder is selling the team. Um, So just keep that on your radar. Uh, It will come up at some point. That story did not go away. It will not go away. And uh, we're going to get Denton Day on here. uh, Hopefully soon. Not only to go over this, but uh, some NBA stuff as well. We are going to do today. If you haven't told, I couldn't tell. I am solo. Um, But what we're going to do today, is we're going to do an old-fashioned sports gumbo. We haven't done one uh, since before football season. I think it was sometime last summer, so I'm excited to do this. For those of you who are new and maybe not have been here the last time we did that sports gumbo, is uh, just a little bit of everything, right? And exactly what gumbo is, right? We're going to talk a little bit of NBA, a little State of the Union, some predictions for the rest of the season. Uh, it's been a really interesting, odd NBA season, as it consistently tends to be, but we have a bunch of parity in the NBA right now. The Western Conference is completely wide open. Uh, so that's going to make it really, really fun to go through and follow how the rest of this season is going to go. Uh, and I'll make some predictions there. I have uh, some NFL talk. We have some quarterback contracts, quarterbacks on the move, storylines to keep a look at, uh, a little bit of a, a monologue there. Uh, I have some talks on sports contracts and in in, in sports in general. Um it, We'll get into some more of it later. Uh, We're also going to talk a little bit of golf here as uh, you know, the masters just a a couple months away, actually less than that month and a half away. We also have March madness coming up. So we'll get uh, in the next couple of weeks, we'll get dive into some college hoops and get everybody ready for conference championship week, as well as uh, obviously the uh, March madness bracket. So uh, lots to get into, like I said, sports gumbo, just a little bit of everything excited to dive into it. Let's start here. Um, I was thinking about how I wanted to do this because, you know, we haven't really dove into much basketball other than the Kyrie trade, which was honestly more of a vent therapy session for me than it was actual content. Um, But Hey, you guys seem to like it. So I'm here for it. Um, But I I was thinking about how I want to do this because I've done the state of the unions here before, obviously on this pod, we're so hyper-focused on football until football season ends that this gives us an opportunity to kind of dive into some other stuff um, you know, obviously the NBA becomes one of our big focuses here on the pod. Uh, but again, this NBA season has been a little bit up and down, right? If, if you look, if you told me like, hey, when this first two weeks of the season, first month of the season, anyway, like Boston, Milwaukee, Denver, Memphis are your number one, number two seeds in the East and West, I'd say, oh, that's the number one and two seeds that we've seen, uh, you know, uh, one month into a season. However, a lot has changed. Uh, We have injuries to look out for Uh, the Western conference has just been a crazy up and down mess all season. Um, But I want to kind of take a little bit to go through the bottom teams. Uh, This year, the lottery is huge, right? Everyone knows Victor, Victor Wembenyana. He is the number one, uh, one of the highest recruited prospects we've had in the NBA uh, in a long time. And he's going to be the prize possession, right? He's, Getting close to, you know, I've I've even heard that they're they're trying to his agents and stuff are trying to, to lower how tall he is because he's 7'5, but he can shoot. He's got handle, he can take it to the basket, he can play really good defense. Uh, he's thin. I mean, he's like Kevin Durant, but if you make Kevin Durant like seven or five inches taller, KD always said he wasn't a seven-footer. People always said KD's about seven feet tall. Either way, we're talking about a guy here, seven foot five, with the handles shooting of Durant. He's got some growing to do, but that really long lean body uh could be a potential generational player right um and and everyone at the bottom here is 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 tanking for one that's kind of been the the MO here so uh i want to take a look at those teams at the bottom uh as well as uh we'll work on and then from there we'll work our way to the top so uh we'll look at those teams that are in that bottom kind of tier right you have Houston San Antonio Detroit Charlotte Orlando those are kind of your five teams and even Orlando is kind of tough That Orlando team is really fun to watch. I've gone back and watched some of their stuff here. Uh, Paolo Benkerro, I I think, for as good as Jabari Smith was, and we liked him coming out, and obviously we haven't seen much of Chet Holmgren. Paolo was the right call for the number one overall pick. I mean, he the stuff he can do, dribble pass, um, his ability to play around the perimeter, uh, passing from that you know the foul line, everything else, and he's just he's got some some shit to him. You know, he's just kind of a nasty guy. He gets to the rim. Good finisher, and you pair him with another young stud in Franz Wagner. Uh, those two are a really, really fun pairing. You think back to the Vucevic trade they made a couple of years ago, and they deal out Vucevic. They get in Wendell Carter. You know, They get in all these assets, and it's it's been night and day. I mean, who won that trade? And, and Orlando's a fun team now. They're still young. Jalen Suggs hasn't quite worked out as, a, as much as we liked him coming out of Gonzaga. Still a really nasty defensive player. But they're kind of hanging around that you know 24 to 30 they're 24 and 35 they're not that far out of the playing game they're only four games back of that I wouldn't be surprised if they found a way to sneak in there so I don't quite put them in that bottom crew but you know in a perfect world for Orlando like yeah you're going to be in the mix for when I don't know how he would fit with the rest of those guys in there but uh you don't pass up on on talent like that coming out so Detroit Charlotte like you said Houston San Antonio it might just be the the historical stuff with pop, you know, Tim Duncan, everything there. I would kind of love to see when on San Antonio. I mean, I don't know how much longer pops going to coach and whenever he leaves, he'll pass it off. Whether it's a, someone like Becky Hammond or, you know, someone else in that organization, pop's not going to be around forever, but the one thing that they do RC Buford there, like they do such a great job of developing talent when they have it. Right. You know, someone raw, like that organization knows, what to do with these kinds of players. They have the infrastructure. They've done it before. Obviously, it's been a long time since San Antonio has really been relevant. But I would trust San Antonio to do the right thing. Teams I would not trust. Detroit. I would love to see Cade Cunningham playing this year. We don't. Know, he hurt his shin before the season. He, he's missing the entire season. I love that dude. I love watching him play. I thought he was the no-doubt number one overall pick. He went number one or may have gone number two after Anthony Edwards. I don't remember, but... I love Cade Cunningham. I still do. I think he's an absolute stud. I think he's going to be a good player for a long time. It sucks that he's not getting the opportunity to play this year, but it's also probably going to help their draft odds. I think if you paired one with a guy like Cade coming back healthy, if Cade were to live up to the potential he has, the his vision and ball handling, the way he sets everyone else up, even though he's the size of a wing, you know, you got this six, 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 seven frame built up. You know, he's not a scrawny 6'6 six, six or 6'7. Six, I mean, he's he's a big dude. He can shoot the ball. He's a fantastic passer. I I feel like Cade mixed with this kind of unicorn. You have two guys here, that 6'6 six, six handle set up, basically run your offense through Cade Cunningham, and then you add a Victor Wembignana to that, this kind of unicorn-type talent. That sets you up for success in the long run. That's a really fun pairing. I would love that. would hate to see him go to Charlotte. That organization has been a dumpster fire for a long time. Three playoff appearances since twenty, or sorry, since 2002. So since before LeBron got into the league, since the year before LeBron got into the NBA, they have made the postseason three times. Uh, two of them were sweeps. The other one was a seven-game series, uh, I believe, against Toronto. I could be wrong on that. But needless to say, it's not an organization built around success. Like, LaMelo's been fun because LaMelo has free reign, right? You send him off, you say, hey, go do your thing, LaMelo. Go go run it up, run it down, go have a good time. And he, he's going to make, you know, splashy plays. I will say this, what's been impressive with LaMelo this year, to give some sort of positivity to Hornets fans, LaMelo has put up more shots this year while still shooting at an efficient clip than I ever thought I would see. When you would see the highlights of him in New Zealand, it was chucking up horrible threes. You could tell his his teammates in New Zealand fucking hated playing with the guy. And he's kind of done the same thing now in the NBA, except he's making 40% of them. So it's it's kind of hard when, you know, when he was shooting, whatever, 25 to 35 percent, whatever that was in, in New Zealand, you still saw the the unbelievable vision and the ball handling and the ability to get to the rim. But he's also playing against guys in New Zealand, which th- that's a good league. It's not a bad basketball league by any stretch of the imagination, but it's also a far cry from the NBA. And he got to the NBA and he had a little bit of trouble getting to the rim. He's gotten better at it. He's still a really flashy uh, passer. Obviously the miles bridges thing with this team has set them back. He was a really good player who was in line to get a big contract this year. Turns out he's a scumbag, right? And he's now out of the NBA. We're probably not going to see him around again. So, you know, is it completely unfair to be like, I just don't want to see him go to Charlotte maybe a little bit, but just given this organization's track record, you don't want to hand the keys to somebody who at seven foot five could have health issues could needs that infrastructure and development. You don't want to see Charlotte end up with that pick. You know, if there's ever a time for the commissioner, you know, sticking his hands in the honeypot and trying to trying to fix it, right? Everyone always loves to say NBA rig, the, the Patrick Ewan envelope story. If there was ever a year to do that in in the NBA for Adam Silver, this is the year to do it. I don't think it's gonna happen. Uh, and Houston, look, Houston's got Jabari Smith, they got Jalen Green, they have some fun talent there, but it's another organization that feels like it has no direction. There was the rumor earlier in the year on Christmas uh, about James Harden wanting to go back to Houston. I think that was pretty quickly debunked. Obviously, again, James is on a prove-it contract. So, you know, if he wants to leave after this year, you know, if the number's not right with Philly, that, that could be an issue. But James also isn't going to want to go there with Jabari and Jalen and these guys who are young and want these shots. So you would at least look at Houston and say, all right, hey, you have three top, three picks in the last three years between Jalen green, Jabari Smith, and then Victor Wembanyama, And you could think, Hey, that could be a fun young nucleus. I don't know if it's going to be great for Victor Wembanyama's development, because if you're drafting him, you're kind of drafting him to be like the guy, you know, and I just don't know if we're going to see that if he ends up in Houston. So that's your bottom tier. Right. And then you kind of go tier up. Um, we're talking about Orlando who I would probably put more in the second tier. Indiana, Chicago, uh, Portland, I-, I would say Utah. Utah's been a really fun team this year. They're only a game uh, out of the uh, – or, sorry, they're only half game out, actually, of the playing tournament. Um, Laurie Markin has been an unbelievable story. Jordan Clarkson getting a chance to start and put up a million shots like he did. They go ahead and trade Mike Connolly out, which is probably going to end up hurting them. So I think Utah's probably more in that tanking world. The only other team that you would throw in this group might be the Lakers. And the Lakers are its own can of worms. They obviously did a ton at the trade deadline. They get rid of Russ. We I, I, I've done so many Russell Westbrook rants on this podcast. I'm not going to bore you guys with another one. But immediately they get better. And the acid they get in, the other Russ, D'Angelo Russell, not a great – I mean, so far he's playing the role, right? There's so much to like about D'Angelo Russell. He's super smooth. He's great vision, great passer. You know, he can shoot the ball well. He's just not a winning player. You know, he's in a lot of ways kind of like Russell Westbrook, but not the dynamic athlete that Russ was. You know, at the end of games, D'Angelo Russell has the the Russell curse of like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the last shot. You know, clear out LeBron, clear out AD. I'm gonna take the last shot, right? But the bigger problem with this Lakers team is they can't play defense. You know, LeBron's putting in an unbelievable season this year. Again, an unreal season. Anthony Davis can't stay on the fucking court. Their guards can play no defense, and it's not going to get any better with D'Angelo Russell. They can kind of space the floor a little bit better, a little bit better now. Still not great. But this Lakers team, it's it's not somebody that you want to hit your wagon to. I mean, I I get it's LeBron. But they're now game and a half, two two games out of the play-in tournament. Could they go on a run? Sure. But essentially, they'd have to go 14-9 and nine over their next, what, 23 games to give themselves a chance? And even then, are you really feeling confident without knowing if Anthony Davis is going to play? I mean, I thought the whole LeBron breaking the scoring record thing, which we didn't really talk about on the pod, but it is worth talking about. It's a significant accomplishment. We haven't really had a major record-breaking type of performance in sports, you know, and, and talking about like career records here, like, you know, Barry Bonds breaking the home run record, like those kinds of things. We haven't had one of those in a while. It's amazing what LeBron did being the all-time leading scorer. It, it, he's he's the best basketball player I've ever seen in my life. For as much as, we, you know, I like to give LeBron shit, and we and I think most NBA fans, unless you're one of those LeBron hardos, you enjoy giving LeBron shit because it's fun and it's easy, and he does it to himself half the time. It was cool to see that, but it was super telling, you know, Anthony Davis sitting there, didn't even stand up to watch the last bucket, didn't react when it went in. Everyone else on the court was. There's bad juju there, man. And Russ was probably a big part of it. And the day before, you know, he (laughs) because this all happens right before the trade deadline. And so you're talking about, you know, the day before LeBron breaks the record. He's on a sit down interview with Mike Wilbon. Talking about, yeah, you know, there were some deals, the Kyrie deal, that he wanted to get done. Knowing that, like, Ross, he said on ESPN to Michael Wilbon, I wanted to get Russell Westbrook out of there. Which, again, was no surprise. But, again, who's who's the reason? How did Russell Westbrook end up in L.A.? LeBron James. So, he can bitch and moan, whatever, I get it. But so much of this team has been LeBron the GM, or shadow GM, however you want to call it, you know, kind of fucking them over. And now we're looking at a really good chance of two years in a row with the Lakers not making the postseason. And I'll let you in on my first prediction here going through a State of the Union. I don't think the Lakers make the postseason. I don't think they make the play-in game. I think Portland, Utah, they're both ahead of them right now. I could see them maybe getting up near there. But Golden State is currently the nine seed, which is still crazy, but you know they're dealing with a ton of injuries. Oklahoma City, I love Oklahoma City. I don't see them getting ahead of any of these teams. And say what you will about Minnesota, and we'll get to them in a second. Minnesota's still a better team, even with the Gobert and Carl, and Carl Anthony Towns things. And I think Mike Connolly at least helps them a little bit, right? Having Mike Connolly there now, he's played with Gobert before. There's some sort of chemistry. You'll be able to get a little pick and roll, lobs up to the hoop from Mike Connolly to Gobert. You'll at least be able to use him a little bit more with Carl Anthony Towns off the uh, off the court. So we'll see. Um, the rest of that kind of middle tier level I was talking about, like I said, I I love watching that Orlando team. They're young and exciting. Markel Foltz, he's been awesome. Um, Indiana's very similar, right? Um, Malcolm or yeah, uh Brog, not Brogdon. Jesus Christ. Uh Tyrese Halliburton has been really fun just to kind of follow him along because it's it's a team that's just got some guys that you kind of like on it, right? You got Miles Turner still, you have um Buddy healed to stretch the floor. And then it all is kind of like, hey, we, everyone in the NBA and anyone who follows the NBA loves Tyrese Halliburton. Like, I don't know if there's a single guy who has a higher approval rating across the NBA than Tyrese Halliburton. And with good reason. He's a really, really solid, fun, good NBA player. Like, he's a guy that every single team should have. The biggest, one of the biggest, I think, of the last couple seasons in the NBA is if Phoenix doesn't draft Jalen Smith, at 10 and drafts Halliburton instead, and you just plug Halliburton right into that run that Phoenix has gone on over the last couple of years, getting Chris Paul with Devin Booker and everyone else. I think Phoenix not only wins the NBA finals the year against Milwaukee, I think they probably get back last year, right? Just because it, it, it relieves, like it, it allows Booker to be the shot maker, right? In big moments, and, and Halliburton can just float around do a little bit of everything for you it re- it release relieves the pressure that chris paul would have had on him um so to see him in a place where kind of like hey you know what we all love this guy we all know he's good let's give him the keys let's see what happens and look they're not going to make the playoffs they're a 26 and 34 team they're an outside chance they're going to be a lottery team but that's still pretty good you know considering that this is a guy that people thought hey it could be a nice role player you know there was a lot of people pushing for ben simmons you know in Philly in that situation trying to get Halliburton I don't think that deal was ever actually on the table I think Philly fans in retrospect kind of hoped and wished that it was I also don't know if Halliburton makes the makes the Sixers better instead of James Harden which again we'll get to in a little bit there um, that kind of uh, half tear up again it's like we're not in the basement but we're on the staircase going down to the basement you know not quite at that you know first level of the house that's kind of where we're talking about with a lot of these teams um portland's an interesting case the trailblazers um you know they they make the trade for Thibel. they get rid of josh hart it, it's still dame's team i don't know what their future looks like i mean they have draft capital they have dame dame signed a monster extension um I don't know if they ever move on from him. I don't know. I mean, Dame's been awesome this year when he's played, when he's been healthy. He's been like vintage Dame. I think he just likes playing in ball in, in Portland. I think he just likes it there. His house, his life, everything's set up there. I guess he just wants to stay there. I don't know. Um, it's a shame because I think if you were to rank your top five favorite players to watch in playoff basketball, Dame Lillard would have to be on everyone's list because he's just He's unreal in the postseason. Uh, And it seems like after the injuries and stuff last year that we're going to have another year without Dame in the playoffs. Now, again, they're a half game back of the play-in tournament. I like Portland better than I like the Lakers. So we might end up seeing them in the play-in tournament. Um, They'd have to get over Utah, who I think is worse than they were after the Mike Connolly trade, taking Russ back, and then they're going to buy him out and, you know, sign our Russ Ghost. I don't know who the hell is going to sign Russell Westbrook. I was gonna say my my one of my predictions this year was gonna be that I don't think Russ signs anywhere. I think he just I think he just stays unsigned. Um if he does get a chance to sign, I mean the Clippers, I don't know. That makes no sense, but you're gonna pair him up with Paul George. I mean, he's just he's a negative basketball player. You can you you can get him for the league minimum after he's bought out. He's still a negative basketball player. And I don't know if you're a team like the Clippers where Kawhi has been on this unreal heater, Paul George, when the two of them have been on the floor together, they're one of the best uh, lineups in uh, or two man tandems in the NBA. Statistically, I think they're up there with, uh, it's like them and then Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. So um, yeah, I don't know why anybody would want to add them and and we'll get some of those teams up there in a little bit. Um, But Utah, they're going to get worse after that trade. Um, you lose Mike Connolly, who again, he's not Mike Connolly of old, but he's still a, he's still not a bad player to have, right? Um, a, a, just a tempo setter, a guy who can get the ball out and still can knock down shots. He's not going to be the all-star caliber guy he was before, um, but he is still going to be a really good player, um, which is why I think he's going to help Minnesota. But Utah, they came out, they proved that they were in it, they proved that they have some young talent there. markinen has been awesome. Uh, Walker Kessler that they got back in the Minnesota Timberwolves trade has been awesome. Uh, but I would expect them to fall out a little bit. So if you're the Lakers or, or Portland, you're probably going to pass them at some point, but then you got to get up into that next category. And that's where we're kind of at this line where it's like, all right, we're in the play in region, right? This is where we're at for the in. And we're looking at in the West, New Orleans, Minnesota, Golden State, Oklahoma City. I wouldn't put Golden State in this next tier if I'm tearing them off based off of my own rankings. Um, And in the East, you'd have uh, the Hawks, the Wizards, and the Raptors. You could probably put the Knicks in there as well, um, even though the Knicks technically are one of the play-in teams. Um, But that that second kind of tier, right, if we're just talking – or middle tier, I guess, would be Pelicans, Wolves, T-Wolves, OKC, and then – Toronto Washington Atlanta Atlanta is going to face some really tough decisions here moving forward Um, they went all in on DeJounte Murray who's a stud and when it what's crazy is their five-man lineup of DeJounte Murray Trey Young DeAndre Hunter John Collins and Clint Capella is the number three most productive five-man unit in the NBA this season Um, the problem is Trey young is slowly starting to turn into Russell Westbrook in that, like he's such a high volume shooter. He's not shot it efficiently at all. There's a lot to dislike about Trey young. There just is like, I, I, you know, they made that one kind of phony run to the conference finals because Ben Simmons was too afraid to dunk a basketball. um, And the Sixers absolutely blew that series. Atlanta has some problems here, you know, they, they've spent out a ton of money. I think they are up, upwards of like $170 million uh, looking in for next year. And you've got a team that's just been middling, right? Trey's been fine. I mean, statistically he's putting up Trey numbers, but it's like, eh, okay. Um, DeJounte Murray's been pretty good. He's a great player. Um, I don't think he really moves the needle on this team. DeAndre Hunter stayed healthy. Like on paper, this team should be awesome, but they're just not. They lose games. They're – one of the hardest teams to figure out. And I think so much of it comes from Trey. I don't think people like playing with Trey. I don't I, I don't think his teammates are all that bought in on him. Uh, the weird report earlier in the season about him, you know, that 100% came from him and his party about, hey, are we going to move on? Um, might look to make, get a trade at some point, like all that shit. Like Trey thinks he's at a certain level in the NBA. And the, the fact of the matter is he's not, right? Simmons and Ursula have talked about this before for a couple of years now. Like how many guys in the NBA do you think can average 20 plus points? The answer is over a hundred, right? Cause all it is is give them the volume and that's how much talent exists within the NBA. Not, you know, maybe there's 40 at this point who could average 30 if given the volume, maybe 40 is a lie. Maybe, maybe it's more like 10 to average 30, probably not, but to average where, um, where we're talking about Trey young at, there's probably 25 to 30 guys in the league who can average what I mean at treyon's averaging 26.7 points a game I think there's easily thirty guys in the NBA can do that and I think in Trey's mind he's one of the top ten guys and he's just not he's just not he takes way too many shots he's too good of a passer for him to 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 play the way that he does and I think at this point I think he's a negative ad right and look we said the same I said very similar things with Donovan Mitchell a year ago right new team new organization revitalized energy and what do you know the cleveland cavaliers are a really good basketball team this year maybe that happens with trey but i've also thought even though i didn't like how much donovan mitchell would would chuck it up um particularly situationally i was always higher in donovan mitchell than i was trey young um explosiveness, size, durability, all this stuff. And I think Trey's attitude is bad. I just don't think guys like playing with him. And you have a really hefty bill coming up for this team. And you have a lot of really good pieces. And unfortunately, the modern NBA doesn't work where it's like, hey, let's trade one superstar or one star for another star. Like those trades just don't happen really anymore. So if you're Atlanta, you try to move Trey, you're not getting some valuable pieces back because you don't have enough talent there to then go out and compete – without Trey and that puts the Hawks in a really tough position. And on top of like ownership, they're breathing down the necks of that front office, Travis Schlank, who I thought has done a really good job, but then him and Nate McMullen are the guys who keep getting thrown under the bus. Cause people don't want to blame Trey young. And a lot of it comes back to Trey young. Um, in addition to that, let's take a look um, uh, at some of the other teams kind of in this tier, Washington, I mean, it's Brad Beal, right? It's, it's more and more guys. Um, I, I mean, look, Kyle Kuzma's turned into a really good player, ironically. Um, uh, and then you have Brad Beal. Um, middle of the road team, right? I mean, let's kind of with that. They're, they're not exciting. There's not really a bright future. They have picks and they have some cap space and we'll see if anything comes of that, but Right now, for whatever reason, this Washington team has just been stuck in just absolute mediocre, you know, um, purgatory for as long as I can remember, honestly. I mean, there was that one blip with John Wall and Beale, um, but they, they're some serious talent away from competing again. But as of right now, they're a playing team. So uh, Toronto is the other one that's interesting. You know, I had, a, I had really high expectations for Toronto coming into this season. You know, uh, I loved Scotty Barnes coming out of Florida State, I loved him last year. He's a rookie of the year. He's a really, really good player. And yet, he's had a really disappointing season. And then it's Fred Van Vliet, right? He's due for a contract. He's been pretty disappointing. Pascal Siakam, one of the most confusing players in the NBA. Is he a star? Is he a guy who's going to average 27 a game for you? He might. He'll go on stretches where he does that. He'll put up 45. You know, he'll have monster nights. And then he'll also have games where he just completely disappears. He still doesn't shoot the ball. Great. He's better now than he was. It's a good defender when he wants to defend. Um, but the big, the interesting thing about Toronto is that it seems as though most of the issues are stemming from Nick nurse, which I don't know if you told me coming into the season, rank the head coaches in the NBA, Nick nurse would probably be in my top five. I, I think from when, especially when we're talking about in-game stuff, um, th- there's some funkiness going on in the water there. They've added Yaka portal, uh, at the trade deadline. And that's actually kind of helped them a little bit. Um, But, you know, I, I would expect them to not finish as the 10th seed. I would expect them to get up to that seven or eight seed, probably host um, a playoff, a host, a play in game, but you know, how far does Brooklyn fall after the KD trade? Right. Uh, Can, can the Knicks' stage stay this sustainable Uh, at this point, they're about five or four and a half games behind the Knicks. They got to turn it on. Um, but, you know, we'll see kind of down the stretch there in the East who keeps out. I'd be surprised if Toronto finished this as the 10 C they're a half game behind Washington right now. I would think they jump out ahead of that. Um, and then, yeah, in the Western conference, Oklahoma city thunder. I love this. OKC team. Josh Giddy's become one of my favorite players to watch. Uh, still obviously no Chet this year. Curious to see how many more games they would have won with Chet than without him. But, you know, with them, maybe it's two or three games here or there. Maybe that's enough that could have gotten them into the playoffs without being a, a play-in team. Um, I like this OKC team. I don't love I mean, I think their future is incredibly bright. The biggest thing about OKC is Shea Gill just Alexander. I mean, SGA is just an absolute monster. I loved him coming out of Kentucky. He was the guy that if <clears throat> the Eagle, if the Eagles, if the Sixers could ever have pulled off a trade. To get Shade Gilgis-Alexander, that was the guy I always wanted to see paired with Embiid. He's like, if I was going to bet on a young talent who's kind of unproven, that's the guy. And when you think about what Oklahoma City got from that Paul George trade, and then the, the Russell Westbrook and Chris Paul flip and all that stuff, I mean, they have so much talent, so much young talent, and they still have more and more picks to go in the future. I mean, Oklahoma City... Is good enough right now to be a potential playoff team. They could potentially, uh, you know, be even better if the guy they drafted number what two overall this year had actually played. They could have been even better. Instead, they're still a basically a play-in team, and they still are only uh, a game and a half outside of the sixth seed in Dallas because that's how tight the margins are in the in the West. I- I don't know, man. I don't know if there's a single organization in basketball set up for the long term. We're talking about 10 years worth Oklahoma City's in a really, really good spot. And I'm excited to see where they go. Um, New Orleans has been disappointing only because when they've been healthy and basically by that, I mean, when Zion's been healthy, they look like one of the best teams in the league. I mean, the on off court numbers with Zion are staggering. It's just, it's crazy now. He got hurt January 3rd and we're going on almost two months of him being out with a hamstring injury, you know, and and look, I watched it happen to James Harden, right? I mean, James Harden really didn't look the same for almost a year plus from the hamstring, but it also comes into how much are you conditioning it? How much are you actually rehabbing it? What goes into it? Um, And maybe that's part of the problem with, with Zion, but um, I just, I want to see Zion healthy. Because we, when he's on the court, he's unlike anything I've ever seen or anything anyone's ever seen in the NBA. But kudos to Brandon Ingram, who is keeping this team afloat. Um, I mean, obviously they have a ton of deep like depth in that and that team like across the board. They have young guys too who have been. Um, who was it Herb Jones? Um, or Herb Brook? It yeah, it's Herb Jones. Uh, really, really good. Like one of the best wing defenders in the NBA already, uh, and then. Jose Alvarado after his awesome playoff outburst last year. I think the Pelicans end up making the playoffs. That's one of my predictions here. I, I just – I want to see, especially if Zion's healthy by the playoff run, they're going to win some games in the playoffs. Like, they could upset – especially right now, they're the seventh seed. If they get in the seventh seed, they're playing Memphis in the first round and Zion's on the court. Jaron Jackson Jr. is getting fouled out in the first five minutes of the game. He already fouls out and in, in, like, a higher, rip that, a higher clip than anybody else in the NBA. But if you put Zion healthy up against Memphis, there's just nothing they're going to be able to do. Like nothing at all. Uh Stephen Adams will be in there, doesn't matter. Zion just eats people alive and then you also have all the perimeter stuff that they have there CJ McCollum having a really good season for them as well. I think again, this is all predicated on Zion being healthy, but one of my predictions this year uh right now at least, Zion healthy the Pelicans win at least one round in the postseason, and not just a playing game. If they end up being a playing team, they will win at least a round in the postseason with a healthy Zion. Uh, the last team in this kind of zone, Minnesota. You know, look, the Rudy Gobert trade was terrible when it happened. Everybody knew it. Um, I think even Minnesota fans probably knew it. Does it does it make their team better from last year? Yeah, maybe a little bit. Um, Anthony Edwards is still an absolute monster and is super fun Carl Anthony Towns is the same guy he's always been um yeah it's just a shame you know it's just a shame uh I just I I love I I love Anthony Edwards so much as a player and as a as a future prospect but in this world with this these these twin towers and and you know, maybe Mike Connolly Jr. will help. I think D'Angelo Russell was also very damaging to Anthony Edwards. So I think getting an adult, getting a less self self selfish player or a more selfless player like Mike Connolly would help them. But, you know, this has to be Ant's team. If you're building towards the future, like there's one way to do it. It's Anthony Edwards' team. You give it to him, you trust him, you let him rip, and that's the end of it. Like that, like, that is it. And instead, they give an unprecedented haul for a guy like Rudy Gobert, who I get it. He's supposed to help your defense. Their defensive rating is fine. You know, they're they're really not that great defensively. Um, from what you were expecting, bringing in a guy like Rudy Gobert. And that goes back to the Rudy Gobert stuff forever, which is, you know, the regular season and all this stuff about him defensively, blah, blah, blah. You know, Gobert's fine, you know. He's a fine player. He's not worth what he's getting paid. He's never he never has been. He never has been. You know, they were 10 wins above 500 last year. They finished 46 and 36. They're one win above 500 right now, 31 and 30. This team is just not built to to win and what sucks for them is you gave away so much talent. If they just kept Walker Kessler Who's turned out to be a really, really good rookie for Utah? Instead of trading him and including him in that in that trade, I don't know, man. Minnesota might might be a better team than they are right now. Um, I think D'Angelo Russell was a big part of it, so getting on from him is is good. But you know, we'll see, we'll see. All right, we're gonna take a quick break, and then we have our top tier teams. Uh, and by top tier, I mean your your playoff teams, and that they're kind of split into two groups. So we'll get all that on the other side. Uh, and again, we've got NFL contracts uh, and uh, quarterback contracts, whole conversation on that, as well as the return of Tiger Woods and the PGA tour to our relevancy. All right, now we're starting to talk about, like, the next the next tier here, uh, the next kind of echelon of of teams. Still not quite your top-tier guys, top-tier teams. Um, I kind of broke it down into three more tiers. So this next tier, <clears throat> we're talking about teams that are going to make the playoffs or potentially a play-in team. Um, like, don't love, maybe leaning love a little bit with some of these teams, but also, you know, they just may not quite have it. So uh, we'll start here in the Western Conference. We're talking about Sacramento. We're talking about Dallas. Uh, and then in the, we're also talking about Golden State there as well, even though – It feels weird to put them that low, but just given everything with that team's kind of been dealing with this season, injuries, everything else, I feel like they kind of have to be in that zone. Uh, And then the East, we have the Cavs, the Nets, and the Knicks. So in the East, I think it's easier, right? Because I think all three of these teams, I think Cleveland is a notch above the other two. Brooklyn, obviously, you know, it's weird with Brooklyn because they probably shouldn't be in this tier, but. I look at their roster, especially considering that Ben Simmons just isn't playing. He's just a complete non-factor. And you look at that team, and you're like, this is actually a really good team. They have spacing. They can shoot the ball. They have rim protection. They have really good wing defenders. They have so many wings. They're so deep and can play in the perimeter as, as well as anybody. And then Nick Claxton's become one of the better rim protectors in the NBA. And you think to yourself, if you had told me what is the perfect team to build around Ben Simmons, Three years ago. It's exactly this. If you give me the Ben Simmons from three years ago, the one who was third team All NBA, the one who was second in defensive player of the year, if you give me that version of Ben Simmons surrounded with a ton of three point shooting and really good rim protection, that's the exact team that you would want to build around his skill set. That's exactly what you want. And yet, He's the 13th man on the ban- on the bench right now. He is mentally incapable of playing, which is kind of why I like this Brooklyn team anyway. Right, we've seen this this Brooklyn team post KD trade win a few games. All right, they're, they're not going to win a lot. They're just they're not and it sucked. Um but they have some really fun talent on this team. I I Love Mikael Bridges. I've always loved Mikael Bridges. I love Seth Curry. I mean, those. There was a world where the two of them were going to be playing together in Philly. Didn't happen. They get Cam Johnson from Phoenix. Knocked down great three point shooter. Spencer Dinwiddie. They got in the Kyrie trade. He's he's a good player to have, right? Like, um, I, I and then the guy that came out of nowhere out of LSU, Cam Thomas, who dropped in like um, an almost fifty point game the other night. What sucks about this team in particular is like there are so many guys that you like on this team. Joe Harris, Patty Mills, Royce O'Neill, guys who would be really valuable pieces on a team. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, like guys who would be valuable pieces on a team that could make a run. But there is no clear star. I think Mikael Bridges is going to get a shitload of points. Um, he's going to have to probably be their primary scorer. But they're also kind of multiple, right? Like, they're all just really competent, good players. They don't have that one single guy that scares you. Um, but, I mean, if you're rolling out a starting lineup that's Spencer Didwitty, Seth Curry, Mikhail Bridges, Dorian Finney-Smith, and Nick Claxton, that's a pretty solid starting five. Those those are all starting caliber players on, on tons of other teams around the NBA. And then you're just subbing them in with another fresh set of starters, right? Guys like... Joe Harris or Cam Johnson, um, you know, Cam Thomas apparently now as well. They just have depth. And it's a shame that they don't have a a true like stud, stud, top tier, all-star kind of player. But I'll tell you what, Jacques Vaughn just got extended today. That's going to be helpful for them at least. Buy into this system well coached. You got elite defensive players. You have an elite rim protector in Declanx, and you have an elite on-ball defender in Bridges. You have elite shooting, Seth Curry. You have playmakers and guys who are not afraid to take the last shot. Spencer Dinwiddie. Could the Brooklyn Nets fuck around and win a playoff series? Absolutely. Do I expect them to? Not necessarily, but I I really like Brooklyn. I really do. And you know what? I'm gonna. That's one of my predictions that I had circle. I wasn't sure if I was gonna make it. I talked myself into it. Fuck it, Brooklyn Nets. They're gonna win a playoff series. They're gonna win a playoff series with this team with Jacques Vaughn, and they're gonna shock people. At the very least, I think they go seven games. If it's them in Cleveland, Cleveland's so good defensively. I think they'd have a, they'd have a hard time scoring points. But you know, if it's Brooklyn and God, I don't want to say it, but Philly, you know. If it's Brooklyn and the Knicks, not, le- not a likely first-round matchup. But, you know, the last stretch of the season, we've seen teams that are six seeds jump up to two seeds and three seeds. We see crazy shifting happen all the time. The Sixers have a really, really difficult strength of schedule now for the rest of the way. They could fall. Brooklyn gets hot on a streak with this new team. You never know. I think the Nets are going to at least go to a game seven in their first round. And I think they stay – you know, here's a better prediction. I think saying they're going to win a series it might be a little too bold. They will not be a play-in team. They will get in safely as a top six team in the East. That's my prediction right now. Um, they have a two and a half game over Miami, two and a half point lead over Miami. But uh, and Miami's the next team I want to talk about here in the East. Um, I said Cleveland, Brooklyn, and Miami. Miami's there too. Miami, you have to kind of give respect based off of what they've done in the past. But this team can't shoot at all. Um, they're old. Kyle Lowry basically just doesn't play. Jimmy Butler, another year older, kind of cruising through the regular season. They just signed Kevin Love as a buyout guy. I don't know what that's going to help you with, but I guess it won't hurt. Um, yeah, it's it, they're a weird team. But you know what's going to happen? They're going to come in as the sixth seed, and they're going to play Cleveland, or they're going to play Philly, and they're going to try to take your lunch money because that's what Spo does. Because Spo gets the most out of his team day in and day out, and they have the attitude. They have that fuck you to them that so few teams in the NBA carry with them at all times, and the Miami Heat do. Um, the Cleveland Cavaliers, I like this team a lot. Um, I mean, what's not to like with with the, the addition of Donovan Mitchell worked out so much better than I ever could have possibly imagined for this Cleveland team. Like, Like, so much better. Than I ever thought it was going to look. Um, in addition to that, one of my favorite players in the league is Darius Garland. Watching that dude close out games, he always makes the right decision. Always makes the right decision. He's inc- he's ridiculously talented, um, but he's just smart and savvy, right? Um, he he's just he he. It's crazy for a guy his age, at how young he is, to be that way. And yet he is consistently. Like, just the crunch time minutes, the only player that's been better than Darius Garland in crunch time minutes has been, surprisingly, De'Aaron Fox in Sacramento. And we'll get to him in a little bit. Darius Garland's been awesome. Donovan Mitchell's been awesome. Evan Mobley didn't take a huge jump in his second year, but I think we know pretty confidently, like, hey, Evan Mobley's a stud. Like Evan Mobley is a really, really good basketball player and has the potential to be an elite basketball player, his length, his defensive reads, um, his his shot blocking ability mixed with Jared Allen. I mean, that's just such a hard time. Their defensive numbers are off the charts. They're far and away the best defensive team in the NBA, and they're going to continue to do that. And that's going to help them a ton in the postseason. They're going to be a tough team to knock out. Um, Isaac Okoro, his, his shooting numbers have gotten better. Uh, as well they pick up Danny Green you get Karis Levert which is some scoring off the bench Ricky Rubio just having another veteran there that I mean if you're talking about like the like and then CeeDee Osmond too his player he's played in big games so that's your nine guys right like that's the nine guys probably eight that you're gonna play in the postseason Garland Donovan Okoro Evan Mobley Jared Allen Rubio Karis Levert maybe a little Danny Green here and there maybe a little CeeDee Osmond but like You have a nice, solid core there that's going to be fun to ride in the postseason. I think they're going to be a good team. And they're going to be a good team for a long time. And then the Knicks, the Jalen Brunson story has been awesome. They go-get Josh Hart. I love to see my Villanova guys back together. Two of my favorite players to watch in college, uh, to see them back. Uh, The R.J. Barrett thing hasn't progressed the way that you want it to, but Julius Randle has had a really nice bounce back season after uh, the disappointing, you know, he got his big contract. He was an all-NBA guy, then comes back the next year terrible last year nice to see him have a good bounce back season Jalen Brunson has helped him a ton I just for what they're paying Jalen Brunson too I mean if you're if you're Dallas and the fact that you had an 80 million dollar deal four years 80 million dollars for Jalen Brunson and you didn't take it you didn't take that deal when it was on the table um, to see what he's now doing in New York uh, is really really cool and and I think he's exceeded most people's expectations uh, speaking of Dallas Look, on paper, I said it when I did my Kyrie rant. They're going to look really good right out of the gates. And they have Luca, Kyrie. Kyrie's had some ridiculous games. The closing out, the closeout against Minnesota right before the All Star break was outrageous. I mean, when Kyrie's cooking and it's all positive vibes and everyone's laughing on the benches and everything, he's the best, right? Like everyone would give that dude a max extension in a heartbeat. But you know, that's not what we're going to get. You know, at some point, that other shoe is always going to drop with Kyrie. It always, always is. That's why I can't put them in that top group for as amazing as Luca is. I think the team around him is fine. I like Maxi Kleba, right? They have some decent pieces, but they also traded away important depth, right? Um, Dorian Finney-Smith, Spencer Dinwiddie. I mean, Kyrie's basically going to be taking the role of Spencer Dinwiddie. But Dorian Finney-Smith was a big piece for them, you know, spreading the floor. Can the two of them go on a run? Look, I wouldn't be surprised if they work their way up to like the three seed by the end of the season. I, I, I'm telling you, they're going to go on a run here. But at some point in the postseason, we're going to see it. And Kyrie's going to do something stupid. He's going to say something stupid. He's going to try to guard, you know, Kevin Durant one-on-one and show everybody or Kawhi Leonard. And he's going to get cooked in a huge moment. It's what happens with him. It always does. And so, shocker here, Dallas Mavericks not making the postseason, not making the Western Conference Finals. There's another prediction for it. Um, also have Sacramento on that list. I love this Sacramento team. They're super fun to watch. Um, they're young, and they're just surprising people. And, look, they're only – the difference between them and the last spot in the play-in, or in one spot out of the play-in even, is four and a half games, right? That's how tight the West is, because you can look at this and, or listen to this two weeks after I posted it, and all of these are going to be completely backwards. That's how the West has been all season. I think Sacramento has a chance, if they keep playing at this level, consistently winning games, Sabonis and Darren Fox has been a really fun combo. Not a lot of people had faith that Sacramento was going to be this good. Not a lot of people thought they would. They've been really fun. One of my favorite preseason bets was taking the over and the right – I think it was at 33-and-a-half was their over-under win total. They have blown by that. Um, going out and getting Kevin, Kevin Herter, you know, just a really solid starter in the NBA who was being underutilized in Atlanta. And then you have Harrison Barnes, who's been in huge games, won NBA championships. Keegan Murray, their first-round draft pick. People hated that pick when it happened. I know I hated it too. Keegan Murray's been really good, man. He's starting for a, a, the three-seed in the West right now uh, as a rookie. I don't know how – I don't know what their playoff future looks like, but I know that they're a fun team, like the Beam. I'm all about the Sacramento Kings right now. And the last team on this level, I have to put Golden State, and I want to put Golden State in the next tier up. But there's some real concerns here. Obviously, the injury stuff with Golden State is the biggest concern. Uh, Steph still out. That injury looks like he's probably going to come back. They were hoping right after the All-Star break. Um, I don't know if he's been upgraded to that day-to-day. Now he's still listed as out. Um, The problem with them is they just haven't really been able to, to recapture what they had last year. Wiggins has had a down year. Draymond obviously taking another year. Um, They get off of the, uh, the James Wiseman contract, which they need. They're starting down to $210 million luxury tax bill coming up here. Um, Clay Thompson's had flashes. I think he had like a 47 point game right before the all-star break. Um, but he's still not the clay Thompson that, you know, he's still lethal from three, but he's not the defensive guy. The defensive numbers of this team are, are scary. And that's typically when we've seen, cause everyone always thinks about how amazing the Warriors offensive was, you know, during those runs, it was the defense that really made them special. It was the defense that separated them from what they were before. And now defensively, this team just can't hang. But when you have the lineup, I think it's Steph, DiVincenzo, Wiggins, Thompson, and Draymond, like that small ball lineup, that's still been one of the most efficient lineups in basketball. They go out and they get Gary Payton Jr., right, and the trade-in line, bringing him back. We said at the time, don't lose him, whatever you do. Unfortunately, they lost him. When he comes back, how healthy he'll be. The biggest thing with this team is if, if Steph's back, Clay's looking better. Wiggins is healthy. Gary Payton's healthy, and they actually get a couple of games. Now, look, they played together last year, so it's not like adding a player at the trade deadline nor- normally. Like Gary Payton knows this offense. He knows how to run and he knows how to operate in this defense. But he's going to have to essentially be like what Otto Porter Jr. was for them last year, except instead of being six foot eight, like Otto Porter Jr., Gary Payton's like six two. And I don't know if he's going to be able to guard some of those elite wing guys that he might have to in the postseason run. But if they're all healthy, I'm not going to bet against the Warriors. Like, I'm, I'm not. I'm not betting against Steph Curry. But the injuries and the lack of defense consistently, the road splits with them have been really, really weird. 22-7 um, and seven at home, 7-22 and 22 on the road for Golden State this season. It, it almost doesn't make sense that they can be so good at home and so bad on the road. Uh, and we'll see if they can write the shit because, look, the efficiency, the shooting, the offensive stuff is still there. But they got to get through this hurdle and hope that they can get a nice 15 game stretch before the playoffs where they get everybody back and gelled. And then they still might end up being a playing team. But again, they are one game out of the six seed. They're two games out of the five seed. Um, and they're three and a half games out of the three seed. So it's not like Golden State is so far out of reach that they can't get back there. They just need people to get healthy. And right now, they've gotten hurt at the wrong times. Uh, let's move to our second to top tier. In the East, I have one team. I have the Philadelphia 76ers. And in the Western Conference, I have the Suns, the Clippers, and the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies, we'll start with them. People love them and they love to hate them. They've become very polarizing. Um, Dylan Brooks has become one of the most either loved, if he's on your team, Kind of guys or the most hated guy in the league. Still takes too many shots. Everyone loves Jaw. Jaw has an unbelievable approval rating across the NBA. This team can't shoot the ball. They they struggle, right? In half-court offense. They're one of the worst half-court offense teams in the NBA. Um, Jaron Jackson, since Steven Adams has gone out, they have not, I don't want to say tanked, but look, they've struggled, right? Um, they're four and six in the last 10 games. Doesn't look like Steven Adams is coming back any soon. Jaron Jackson Jr. is either like all caliber, like all defense, defensive player of the year type of guy, or he fouls out against really good bigs. You know, if you put him up against a Joel Embiid or a Jokic, right, like he's getting cooked. Even a guy like Sabonis, you know, someone who's just better at footwork at him and pulls him out from ins- underneath. Um, there's it, it's, it's inexplicable almost that Steven Adams alone has caused this team to struggle as much as it has. But so far without Steven Adams, they look more like a playing team than they do the number two seed in the the Western Conference. And look, they have Ja, and hopefully, you know, Steven Adams gets back and is healthy, but it's a knee injury and it's a big guy and you never know what's going to happen. He's an elite rebounder. He's one of the best screen setters. And a lot of how that Memphis offense runs, like Steven Adams is really important to that. And without him not having a true big and forcing Jaron Jackson Jr. to play the five, when he plays the five, he's going to foul out or he's going to get in foul trouble early, in which case they're kind of screwed defensively, you know? And at, at that point, if you're Memphis, I, I don't know how far you can realistically go. And if you're that dependent on a guy like Steven Adams, I don't know what your ceiling's going to be. And a lot of people seem to be down on Memphis. I'm not going to go all the way down and say, oh, they're going to fall out. I'm just saying right now they look like a team that's playing more like a playing team than a team that's playing as the number two team in the West. Uh, The Clippers, really hard team to figure out all year, been way up and down. The one thing that we know for sure, when Kawhi and Paul George are on the court, it's been the best duo in basketball by a large margin. Kawhi's been playing out of his mind, but Kawhi's got some of that Kyrie in him, right? It's just like, he'll play when he wants to play. He'll show up when he wants to show up. And granted, we've seen in the postseason when Kawhi shows up, he absolutely dominates. And I still think there's a version of Kawhi that's in there But from night to night, it just feels like you have no idea what you're going to get. And again, this Kawhi stretch right now has been ridiculous. Uh, You know, that version of Kawhi that we saw in Toronto um, and even his first year in uh, his first year in in L.A., like we saw him do it when he was at his prime before he got traded uh, to to Toronto when he was in his prime there with uh, San Antonio. He's a guy capable of taking over games. But his last 10 games, 26 points, seven rebounds, four assists, shooting 50% from three, 47% from the field, 93% free throws. I mean, he's had a down year, but this last stretch that he's been playing on has been ridiculous, um, like like truly ridiculous. Uh, defensively, I don't think he's still the same guy, but the last time we uh, – going back – You know, four steals against the Knicks. He's averaged uh, just about two and a half steals a game over his last five games. If this is the version of Kawhi we see, they can go really far, you know, Uh, especially when you pair him up with Paul George, who is just continuing to do Paul George stuff. But for all the people who still are buying in on the Clippers, another one of my predictions, Clippers aren't making it to the Western Conference Finals. They're not. I, I it's impossible for me to trust Kawhi and honestly to trust Paul George, you know, playoff P was a thing once before because he never showed up in the playoffs and Kawhi could come in, try to take the game over top to bottom. And maybe they find a way to get to the Western conference finals. But if we start adding in Russell Westbrook and he becomes one of the guys that it se- it seems as though he's going to go to the Clippers, maybe even the wizards as are the two teams rumored to get Russell Westbrook. This team's not going anywhere. They're not. You know, they added some good pieces. Miles Plumley. Um, is that getting you there? Is getting rid of Reggie Jackson getting you there? I, I don't think so. Um, Norman Powell's been one of the best. You know, he, he's probably the sixth man of the year. You know, I think people in Philly might vote for Maxie instead, but he's had more minutes there and he's played more games. It's averaging 17 off the bench. It's going to be interesting to see. I don't know. I'm just – I'm not buying in on the Clippers. I'm not. Um, the last team here in this level, the Phoenix – or sorry, in the in the West at least, the Phoenix Suns. The only reason they're not in the top tier is because we just don't know the health of Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant. If the three of them are together, they, they should be the favorites to come out of the West. They, they should be. I don't know when we see KD play for Phoenix. I don't know – how reliable Chris Paul is at this point. But what I do know is this team already takes a lot of mid-range jumpers and Kevin Durant is the best mid-range jumper in the history of the NBA. Statistically, it's like not even close. Kevin Durant is going to do so much for this team. He's also the most, when I say uh, seamless is probably the right word. I was going to say versatile, but I'm going to say seamless. He's the most seamless basketball player I've ever seen. He can, if you need him, sit in the corner while Kevin, or while uh, Devin Booker goes, does his thing, kick it out to KD. Boom, he can do that. Need him to initiate offense, got it. Need him to help with the rim, he's got it. Like Kevin Durant can do so many things, and he's such a gamer. Um, I'm really excited to see what they look like when he's back. They mortgaged some depth, depth. They lost some wing defense, but they're gonna be able to score so many points. And Chris Paul is gonna average like nine points a game, but he's gonna average like eleven assists. <laughs> And he's going to be in complete control. And he's just going to set up KD. He's going to set up Devin Booker. And they're going to be fucking terrifying. And oh, yeah. And you also have DeAndre Ayton rolling to the rim, too. So, uh, yeah, the Suns are going to be a really, really tough team to knock out. The only reason they're on this tier is health. It's the only thing. Only thing. Uh, and that brings us to the Philadelphia 76ers, who have been the best team in the NBA over the last 33 games. Um, they're playing fantastic basketball, seven and three in their last 10. Um, offensively looking really good, averaging 114 points per game, giving up 110. I, do I have to say it? You know, it's James Harden. That's, that's the reason I can't with this team. Tobias has been great this year, right? He's been in that perfect Tobias middle ground that we love to see him where he's just 40% from three, take your mid-range, do what you can. Maxi coming off the bench, it sucks that we can't have – Harden and Maxi on the court at the same time, but you just can't defensively, especially if you're going to end up playing Milwaukee or Boston in the postseason. You just can't. But having a guy like Maxi off the bench who can turn into a flamethrower and just light a match, I, I think he's actually kind of perfect for that role. Though I would, I would rather see him get a chance to be a starter. Unfortunately, when it's him and Harden, you just can't play them both on the on the court at the same time. Um, Embiid otherworldly player. I mean, he was LeBron's first pick in the Austria game for whatever that's worth. Um, and beads outrageous, dude. It's just stupid what he's doing. And defensively, we know how ridiculously good he is. Um, I love the Jalen McDaniels pickup long, tall, lengthy, good defender, three and D guy. He's going to be Fible. You know what the, everyone hoped Fible would be, which was, can we get a guy in there that, can can guard the perimeter and actually knock down threes. And he's not going to be as good defensively as Theibel was because Theibel is is truly that special. Um, but he's going to be really good, and especially when you take Tobias out. You're not worried about, oh, my God, we're losing all of our offense from our three spot because we have to put in Matisse Theibel and hope that Matisse just picks pockets and they get transition buckets. Like McDaniels is going to be able to play really good wing defense for you. He's going to knock down shots. He's going to be a perfect fit especially with him and shake and Tyrese in that second lineup. Um, And then you got Nyang coming off the bench. He's been lights out from three PJ Tucker. I mean, look, the, the dude is just, he makes no impact on the game. It seems like statistically he doesn't score defensively. He's pretty good, you know, but he's nothing special, right? He's not like, Oh my God, he's, you know, he'll, he'll match up against, you know, Jalen, uh, Jalen Brown, or or Jason Tatum, or something in the post. There'll be some matchup with him in the postseason. You go, oh my God, PJ Tucker locked down. You hope he had some toughness and some leadership, right? That's something that this team can use. He's going to get into guys' asses when they need it. Um, he'll knock down corner threes in the postseason. Uh, right now, he's just kind of a he's kind of a net nothing. Like he's just kind of like he's there, right? But you didn't get him for the regular season. You got him for what he's going to do for you in the postseason, and you got to hope that that ends up happening. Um, Paul Reed getting some backup center minutes. I like it. They go out. They have Montrez Harrell. He's done nothing for them, really. Uh, Dwayne Dedman, they just pick up there as a free agent. Um, dunk champion, Mac McClung, anybody? Uh, don't think we're going to see him much. But uh, the biggest difference from this team, I mean, Harden, Harden being the assist guy and, and being okay with that role seemingly and actually seeming revitalized is really important for this team if they're going to make a run for the postseason. I still have my doubts come postseason play if that's the version of Harden we're going to see. Um, I think having Anthony Melton next to him is awesome with that starting lineup. And then, again, you get Maxi coming in off the bench. You're going to have moments where you have Harden and Maxi on the court, and it's just impossible to defend them. Like, it's just so hard. And, oh, yeah, by the way, you have arguably the most talented player, a top five player in the NBA, and, James, uh, and uh, Joel Embiid sitting there, too, at the five spot. So, uh, look, I think this Sixers chance for the first time, since the J.J. Redick, Ben Simmons era, um, that, that team that, that lost um, on the buzzer beater, to the Kawhi, the team that lost in the, uh, the Ben Simmons game against Atlanta. I think this is the best chance the Sixers have had to actually potentially come out of the East. Best case scenario for them, they find their way to the one seed and Boston and Milwaukee beat the living shit out of each other. Like that's that is the best case scenario because otherwise you're gonna have to go through Boston or you're gonna have to go through Milwaukee and then you're gonna have to play the other one in the next round. The Sixers need that chance where like, hey, we don't have to, we only have to beat one of them, and that'll get us to the postseason. And then of course health, you know, Embiid has been really healthy for the most part. It's these fluky, freak injuries, and you hope that this is the year that he doesn't get that. Um, he should be the MVP. Uh, I know what Jokic is doing is insane, but he should be the MVP. Uh, And that brings us to our top teams, right? The last three I have remaining, the Denver Nuggets, the Boston Celtics, and the Bucks. Look, Boston, when everything's right, everyone's healthy. Jalen Brown's going to be out a while. He has a uh, facial contusion. He'll be back uh, in time for the postseason run. Um, Jalen, Jason Tatum's been a little banged up here and there as well. Um, But the the pieces they added, Malcolm Brogdon, Derek White's been fantastic for them. Grant Williams, putting putting together a good season. Um, Horford playing some minutes here and there, right. You know, they're not exhausting him. They're going to save him for the postseason like they did last year. Uh, Rob Williams, when he's healthy, really, really important impact defensive player. Boston probably should be the odds on favorite. I don't know if it's them or Milwaukee. When you look at it on paper, my favorite is still Milwaukee, right? And the way they're currently constructed this year, going through Giannis, going to Milwaukee, knocking that team out it's going to be incredibly difficult to do. And I, I just look at this Milwaukee team with Giannis. Uh, I, I don't know how anybody stops that dude in a postseason matchup without elite-level wings. Like, I, that's my big fear with the Sixers. Like, I don't think the Sixers will be able to beat Milwaukee in a playoff series, especially if Chris Middleton comes back. And this team's won, what, 11 in a row? They're, I know they've won their last 10, but – oh, 12 straight. Sorry, they've won 12 straight games going into uh, All-Star weekend. Jumping their way up to the two-seed, Milwaukee's scary. And Giannis is scary. And I, at this point, I just, I don't know. I don't think there's another team out there that can hang with what Milwaukee can do. And part of that's because Giannis, to me, is still the best player in the NBA. And Jokic is incredible and is, is is one of the best players, but for an entirely different set of reasons. What Giannis does in postseason, his ability to take over games is something that just no one else in the league has. You know, you could say LeBron has it, but the team around LeBron is, is not, what Milwaukee has um, Drew Holiday's playing Really good right now uh, It'll be interesting to say It'll be interesting to see Obviously Giannis Is The Greek freak He is The best player Like at that point But I, I think the Sixers Have a better chance Of getting by Boston Than they do Milwaukee Because I just don't think They have anybody Who can match up Against Giannis um, Obviously you have Embiid Who can meet him at the rim But Embiid's not Stopping Giannis One on one You know he might be able To slow him down a little bit But that's the thing You can't stop Giannis, you have to stop everybody else, which means you have to be really good defensively everywhere else. And Boston has a chance to do that. We saw them do that last year, but I'm telling you, Milwaukee, Giannis is not losing two years in the road of, in the playoffs to Boston. It's not going to happen. The West, Denver, they're the clear cut one seed, the top team in the West. They've been that way all season. Defensively, their splits have gotten better. Um, they're still not fantastic defensively. The best thing they have going for them is that the They are head and shoulders above every other team in the West, other than Phoenix with a fully healthy Durant uh, and Chris Paul, Jokic, what he's doing now, and then for them to be the one seed and to put up even better stats. I mean, Jokic, he he deserves every accolade he gets. I, I know Philly fans. I know for me, like Embiid should be the MVP again in my book. I get why he won it last year. I get why Jokic is minus, what, I think it's like minus 450 or something right now to win it again this year, man. It's minus 250. Either way, he's a heavy favorite to win the MVP again. And I understand it because he is that good. He is that good. When he plays, it is like your dad, when you are 11, 10 years old, and your dad is towering over you and he can just pass it. You know, he it's it's an adult playing with kids and the way he, he passes the ball around. He just sees everything that no one else sees and he's doing it against the best athletes in the world and the best basketball players in the world. And he does it. He's done now for three straight years. And he's just so much fun to watch play. Um, I still have questions. I think Aaron Gordon for them has been great, but defensively, you know, having Jamal Murray back, you're seeing the difference that, you know, this team is with, with Jamal Murray offensively, they get even more dangerous. Michael Porter Jr. is going to be hit or miss as to whether he's even playing. But when he's there, you know, he adds some stuff. He really does. So um, that's kind of my thing. I'll say you right here now. I think we're going to have Milwaukee and Boston in the Eastern Conference Finals. and I think we're going to have Denver and Phoenix. And then I think we're going to have a repeat of 2021. I think we're going to have Phoenix and Milwaukee playing in the NBA Finals. And I think... Think we're gonna see Giannis hold up another trophy for the second time in his career. That's my prediction, that's my guess for right now. I do think Jokic wins a third straight MVP. Um, and we'll see how the rest of that plays out. So, all right, quick break. We got a little bit, we got some NFL and some contract talk on the other side, as well as some golf talk. Hang on, we'll be right back in just a minute. All right, second part here of sports gumbo. I I want to talk here. A little bit about some quarterbacks in the NFL, free agency market, and uh, trade markets and stuff going on there, franchise tag, uh, and also kind of lead that into a conversation here about the ideology behind sports contracts as a whole, right? Um, three quarterbacks in particular I'm, I'm talking about here. First up, Daniel Jones, second, Lamar Jackson, third, Derek Carr. So let's start with Daniel Jones report came out from Mike Florio yesterday that Daniel Jones wants more than are up to 45 million dollars per year essentially looking at the market average for quarterbacks that are franchise quarterbacks right we're going to see we've seen guys like Mahomes hit that number we're going to see for the first time ever um a cap hit above $39 million, which will be Deshaun Watson, who will be $50 million this year, uh, as well as guys like Kyler Murray, uh, who who have signed these mega extensions to rookie deals. We have not yet seen Justin Herbert. We've not yet seen Joe Burrow. We've not yet seen Jalen Hurts and what their deals will look like. To me, all three of these quarterbacks have unique comparisons and in a way all of them are going to be looking for something and what realistically I think they can actually get and still walk away with a shitload of money. And if you're Daniel Jones and what Daniel Jones should be doing and what his agents should be telling him, are that you got to follow the Kirk cousins model here. All right, look, Daniel Jones right now, is not that far off from a production standpoint, to what we saw from Kirk Cousins in Washington. Middle-of-the-road quarterback, can make plays with his legs, connected, good enough to get you to playoffs and win a playoff game. All things we saw from Kirk Cousins. Nobody wants to pay Daniel Jones a massive contract. No one wants to pay Daniel Jones a $180 million contract. Nobody. Not the New York Giants. Not anyone. But what Kirk Cousins did when he left was he found a way to battle through the franchise tag, continue to play well, until to the point that he could get what I still think is one of the most important contracts in NFL history, which was a three-year, I think it was $83 million, I don't have the exact contract in front of me, but it was around $80 million, Fully guaranteed contract. And what that did was it allowed Minnesota to not spend all of their resources solely against the cap on Kirk Cousins. It allowed them to still buy other players. Yes, they had to trade Stephon Diggs because Stephon Diggs wasn't happy there. And yes, they ended up getting lucky stumbling into Adam or studying into Justin Jefferson. But they had Adam Thielen there. Right. They, would, they were able to add pieces along the defensive line, the offensive line. Now, defensively, they've been disappointing. But going back to thinking about those Mike Zimmer teams right back in like 2018, 2019, when Kirk Cousins first got to Minnesota, they spent a lot of money on defense. They spent money along the offensive line. They were able to put together a competitive team with Kirk Cousins as their starting quarterback because in order for Kirk Cousins to win a Super Bowl, he needs talent around him. He needs a lot of talent. And that's what Daniel Jones is. It's the same thing. Now, I would say Kirk Cousins is probably a little bit better than what Daniel Jones is now. But we've seen in a year with Brian Dayball that Daniel Jones can be a really, really good productive quarterback. Is he gonna be enough to win you a Super Bowl? No, I don't think so. If it was my team, what would I say? I'd say go go trade up. I'm not I'm not doing that. I'm not, but you've seen enough. That if you're Brian Dable, you want that continuity and you can get a team-friendly deal. That's fully guaranteed. Look, the more fully guaranteed contracts that happen in the NFL is overall the better for players. You're not going to see players get the Deshaun Watson contract again. We're going to get to that in a little bit with Lamar. You're just not. You're not going to see $250 million fully guaranteed. It's not going to happen. Deshaun was in a very unique situation. But what you can see... Our four-year, $85 million deals, fourth year being a team option, fully guaranteed. If you're the New York Giants, you probably take that deal. Given the continuity, given the growth you saw from Jones, the physical attributes we've seen, he is dangerous as a runner. Another year with Brian Dable. I mean, a lot of ways, I look at Daniel Jones this year as like the early stages of Josh Allen in Buffalo. Big athletic quarterback with a good arm, inaccurate, turns the ball over too much, right? Just on those assets alone. Now, again, Daniel Jones doesn't have the arm talent that Josh Allen has. but He has plenty to be a really, really good quarterback in the NFL. Take that and that base you have. Get a good deal. For Daniel Jones, $80 million guaranteed is a really, really good deal. And already, supposedly, there's reports coming out saying that there are going to be people sitting down with Daniel Jones telling him, hey, this is probably why you shouldn't ask for this much money because it's probably going to be better for you. Instead, look at Kirk Cousins. Go get your guaranteed money. And if you if you flame out, you're still going to get that full money. And if you're smart like Kirk Cousins, you get another extension. Right. You start to play up your bill, you get more extension. Right. And that goes into something we're going to talk about later, later, which is that in the modern sports world, athletes aren't as considerate about taking less money to help out the betterment of the team, i.e. the Tom Brady move that he did for so long in New England. So if you're Daniel Jones, be Kirk Cousins. The best thing that can happen to you, Daniel Jones, is being Kirk Cousins. And if it's a three-year deal and you come out and you're a pro bowler, second year you take off, they go out and, and draft a top wide receiver in this year's class. class. Then after three years, you go back to and say, hey, this is what I did, pay me more. And by the way, we already had the precedent set about it being fully guaranteed, so the next contract is going to be fully guaranteed. If you're Daniel Jones, be Kirk Cousins. It's that simple. It's that simple. And you will be on a competitive team with a great head coach and a great organization historically with good talent around you because guess what, dude? You need it. Right now in this point in your career, you can't afford to be the quarterback who's being paid $45 million a year and and expect to be good. You just can't. And even if you got cut after your second year, would you still probably make more money than the three-year fully guaranteed deal? Yeah, you probably would but they're not going to give that to you because you haven't been that quarterback. You've proven you can win a playoff game against a good team. You've proven you can make the plays you need come back, run it back more with Dable. get your guaranteed money now or play into the franchise tech next year, get paid like a top five quarterback for a year, top 10 quarterback for a year, and then come back and say, Hey, where's my money? Because if there's one thing we know when quarterbacks hit an open market, Teams will overpay for them. All right, let's move on to Lamar Jackson. Now, Lamar Jackson's a very unique situation, right? MVP, 2019 MVP, one of the most electrifying players, a good guy, self-represented, which adds a whole nother wrinkle into this. And if you're Lamar, he wants Deshaun Jackson. But guess what, Lamar? You're not getting it because nobody's getting it. And it's a shame that the biggest and most lucrative contract in the history of the NFL, at least in terms of money guaranteed, all that stuff that we've seen, because by the time Mahomes is done, his contract will be worth more. But in terms of guaranteed at signing, how much money you're getting in that contract, Deshaun Watson's the most valuable contract in the history of the NFL. That chill is never happening again. And I wish it hadn't been for such a scumbag. And we've talked about Deshaun Watson before. But again, if you are Lamar, that's what you're chasing. That's what Lamar's chasing. But Lamar, you you shouldn't be that. You shouldn't try to go be Deshaun Watson. You shouldn't try to get that contract. You should look for a lower number, higher guaranteed money, percentage-wise, right? Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray's contract... Is not that bad when it comes to guaranteed money. It's a huge number and people look at it and it's gonna handicap the Cardinals for a long time. It's not a good contract, right? But if you're Lamar, you should get that guaranteed money, right? Look, Kyler's 140 million. Give me 145. Give me 150. But make 100 of a guaranteed. Give me that. Give me two thirds guaranteed, 100 million guaranteed. And if I earn it and I stay healthy, then you pay me more money. Because the on-off splits with him playing versus out, I mean, they average 14 more points per game with Lamar Jackson on the field than without him. That is outrageous. They average 28 points per game with him, 14 points per game without him. That is an astounding number. His value has been set. But you're not going to be Deshaun Watson. So don't try to be, because you're not going to get that deal. Find the middle ground. Get your guaranteed money. The guaranteed money that you've earned. Help make it a $120 million deal with $100 million guaranteed. One hundred and ten. million. Make the guarantee higher and the total number less. And sign the deal. You have an organization that has built everything around you. They got a new offensive coordinator in there. Now, I also get from Lamar and this is the other thing that I think could be smart on his part, make them trade you. Make them trade you to somebody who will pay that money. Because if Kirk Cousins taught us anything, going back to what I said about Daniel Jones, an open market will pay you a lot more than the team that's holding on to you now. I mean, I I feel like that's kind of obvious, but it's true. And that's kind of what Lamar's doing right now. And I think so far he's played it right but I'm not sure. And he, whatever contract Lamar gets, whether it be with Baltimore or somebody else, I think it's a huge mistake for Baltimore to get rid of him. I know how he, the injuries have gone in the last two years, but I still think it's a big mistake for Baltimore to move on from a guy as talented and legitimately ridiculous as Lamar Jackson. But go get that higher guaranteed money. Figure something out. And if they won't give it to you, then you seek the trade. And if they tag you, that's just two years away from hitting the open market when you will be easily paid more than Deshaun Watson. So either get the guarantees now, shorter deal, more guaranteed money, and get yourself the free agency or roll with the franchise tag if they can't work out a trade. Because I would say number two is like, get the trade. I think short-term deals, higher guaranteed money – in this modern NFL, actually makes more sense. Now, of course, the injury aspect of it is what everyone will say back at me, and I understand it. I know how dangerous it is. I know how quickly things can lose. But once you sign $100 million guaranteed, $120 million guaranteed on a $130 million contract, that money is set. Look for the higher guarantee. You're not getting Deshaun Watson money. That is a once- and a, and, a, and a random, I don't know, once every 10 years, you'll have a deal like that that shifts the market out completely. If you're Lamar, take the higher guaranteed on a lower number, number or force your way out. And I think right now he's trying to force his way out. He didn't get the deal he wanted. And the best case scenario for him is getting a chance to go onto an open market. But the problem with that for Lamar is any team that's trading for you is giving up a ton of assets. You don't want to find yourself in a situation like Russell Wilson or yeah, Russell Wilson last year. Not to say that all of those assets have completely depleted everything that was on that team. Like, no, there, there still are a lot of really good players on that Denver team. But they have no draft picks. And they're kind of fucked from that perspective for a long time. If you're Lamar, you're signing somewhere long term. Do you really want them to give up two, three first-round picks for you and go somewhere where, hey, you're getting paid more? but then you don't have draft capital? Or would you rather stay in a place that has built their entire organization around you? Have your demands met. Take the lower overall number with a higher guarantee. You'll win more, and you'll get more guaranteed money. But right now, it seems like that is what the hang-up is on. Baltimore doesn't want to pay them the guaranteed money, but Lamar's also asking for numbers that are completely unrealistic even though he's a former MVP. And that brings us to Derek Carr, which is somewhere in the middle. Derek Carr is better than what Kirk Cousins was when he was leaving Washington. But he's also not as valuable in an open market as Lamar. And what I see here is a chance for Derek Carr to split the middle. Three years, $100 guaranteed. $33 million a year less than the average annual value of your Deshaun Watsons and Kyler Murrays and all these guys who've signed their mega extensions already. Fully guaranteed in a situation of your choosing. I still think the Jets probably make the most sense given the amount of young talent that they have there, both on offense and defense. But according to his brother, this deal is going to take a long time. The point I guess I'm trying to make here is that in the NFL, the NFL is weird in the way it's always done its contracts. You know, a great example of it, um, Kenny Galladay, right? He signed, it was like an eight, $75 million contract. If you broke it down, only about $30 million of it was guaranteed. The rest of it are numbers to fluff it up. And look, $30 million is $30 million, nothing to sniff at but he's a good example because he's completely flamed out and there's a good chance. He's probably going to get cut this year from the New York giants after only two seasons and he'll get the 30 million, but everyone's going to see that 75 and players time after time, snap at that high number, take the short term deal. That's more guaranteed money because there's two reasons on this. And this goes to my overall ideology here and the Tom Brady move, right? the Tom Brady take less money. You don't have to take less money. You have to take less total value money that's already half of it's fake and get a higher completely guaranteed contract. And for players who aren't quarterbacks, you're not going to get a fully guaranteed contract. There'll be someone like a a Justin Jefferson or somebody who might be able to work that out, someone who's that valuable. But for the most part, it's going to be quarterbacks. But this isn't a problem only in the NFL, right? Players, and this is going to sound very much like old man yelling at clouds at me, players want the big number now. They see what the NBA players make. Because the NBA players are making the big money. And they have the luxury tax. But financially, the NBA is set up completely different than all other sports. In the NBA, you can get three guys getting paid max salaries, right? Like, you can can see that. And it still works on a team and those max salaries could be $34 million a year for Tobias Harris. And meanwhile, Lamar Jackson's going, Hey, I was the MVP of the fucking NFL and I can't even get a hundred million dollars guaranteed. Right. I can't get a $200 million contract like Tobias Harris did. There's 53 getting paid. Right. And guess what? The salary cap's going up in the NBA in a couple of years and the the max contracts are going to be upwards of $60 million which is six million million a year. Sorry, let me, let me quickly just clarify that. And the bottom line is I think because it's all so public now, I think other sports are jealous. I think other sports, especially, nothing is as big as the NFL, and yet they're getting paid a fraction of what NBA players are. And honestly, that just comes down to simple math. 15 players on an NBA roster. 53, right? The the numbers don't line up. Max contracts in the NBA are always going to be bigger. But I also think we've now reached a point that less and less guys are okay with taking pay cuts. There was a story that came out in baseball. Manny Machado's upset already with his contract, his $300 million contract that he got from the Padres, and might look to move on after this season if he's not able to renegotiate. And that's why the last player I've noticed who's taken this kind of team-friendly deal is Bryce Harper in baseball. He took extra years on the back to make sure that the average annual value wouldn't fuck over the Eagles or the Phillies. That was his goal. I want to get my 315, 330, 25, it was $325 million contract that I've earned but I don't want it to then screw over what we can do everywhere else. And in baseball, there's no salary cap, right? So you can spend as much money as you have. You can't do that in the NFL. And I, I truly believe we're in this weird era of cross sport jealousy where Lamar goes, why don't I make LeBron money? Or even not LeBron. Why don't I make Kawhi Leonard money? You know, why don't I make Paul George money? Why is Tobias Harris have more than double the amount of money I've made even though I'm the MVP of the fucking NFL and more and more I struggle to see a day that we're ever going to get back especially because the salary cap jumps from the NFL and NBA also go up so differently the NBA has a massive spike every couple of years when they redo their TV negotiations the NFL TV rights are pretty much set And the next time they have it, yeah, the salary cap will jump up a little bit, but it's not going to be even nearly as much as what we see when the NBA salary cap jumps up. And so I don't know if there's ever going to be a way. But if there's one thing I know that you can do as NFL players and owners don't want to do it, which is why we've only seen two of these contracts ever, is ask for the fully guaranteed contract. Take less money overall. Whatever the big shiny number is on top, that half of that number is fake anyway. In most NFL contracts, take the guaranteed money. Take it when it's there. You have cap geniuses across the NFL finding ways to manipulate contracts and manipulate cap in order to to make things work. So that way, when the Eagles have Javon Hardgrave leaving and his cap hit would have been you know eleven point five million, whatever it is. Because it was the team option, they move on. They're going to try to renegotiate, hopefully bring him back on another deal. Like there's all these little nuances. But when you see Schefter tweet out, hey, Eagles signed so and so, Cowboys signed so and so, and you see that number, it doesn't line up to what other teams and other sports make. It's usually like half. And so if you're Daniel Jones, if you're Lamar, if you're Derek Carr, The one thing I can say, if you want to ever get to a point that you can get close to that, because the one thing that baseball and basketball have are fully guaranteed contracts for their elite-level players. And so far in the NFL, we've seen it twice. So if you are Daniel Jones, don't ask for $45 million a year. A, because that's insane and you don't deserve that much money. But B, take the guarantee. If you're Lamar, $120 million guaranteed. Four years. I think the Ravens would do that deal. Maybe they won't. Maybe they're afraid of injury. I get that. But someone's got to break the mold. And of all people, Kirk Cousins was the first one to do it. Derek Carr, I would be shocked if Derek Carr's contract wasn't fully guaranteed. And in addition to that, I think you're helping your team out. I think you can have both. I think that's what Bryce Harper showed. Now, granted... Bryce Harper signed like a 14-year contract, 13-year contract. Is that going to happen in the NFL? Absolutely not, unless your name's Patrick Mahomes, who got like a 10-year, 12-year deal. If you are one of these guys, take the guaranteed money. It, it, It improves other players coming after you. It helps keep the total market down. You're getting more money in your pocket at the end of the day, more than likely. Take that money. Reset that market. And you'll be benefiting your team, too. You'll have a better chance of winning a Super Bowl if you do that. But instead, these cap hits are getting higher and higher. And when Jalen and Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert all sign theirs, the numbers are going to start getting out of control. And we all know Daniel Jones isn't getting that $45 anyway, but I'll tell you what, those three guys probably will. All right, uh, long pod today, and uh, I don't want to talk too much more, but I did want to wrap up the pod um, talking about the PGA Tour um, and, more importantly, Tiger Woods. Um, look, golf is, is what it is during the regular season. People who've been listening to us for a while know I'm a huge golf fan. Um, I don't expect a lot of our new listeners to buy in as much as I do. I mean, I – I love the sport. I I think the PGA tour is unbelievably fascinating. The majors are some of my favorite sporting events of the year, but I do look at what tiger woods brings to a sport that is incomparable to any other sport for a few reasons. Part of that is logistically how golf works, right? You can play golf later in life. Um, If you are as dominant or win a bunch of majors as young as a guy like Jordan Spieth, obviously tiger, um, Phil like some of the best of all time who won super young you can still play tournaments honestly even if it's just the majors until you're in your 70s I think the last time we saw Arnold Palmer he was like 75 and still playing in a PGA Tour event you know and and or a major and what I love about what we saw on Sunday was obviously homa john rom like the PJ tours in such amazing hands and the finish of that tournament was great the whole tournament was great but it was the energy of tiger you know there, there's no other sport that i can sit down and be like and this is part of the thing with brady where it's like you know when scotty and some of the other guys will be you know talking to and everyone has buddies like this and, and i'm sure girlfriends and everything else who are just like oh i'm sick of tom brady i always try to just enjoy it while i could because Football as it is, you're not supposed to play until after you're 40. And we got six additional, five additional years left, um, or five additional years with Tom Brady, the greatest to ever do it, right? And in golf, we have 47-year-old Tiger Woods, who has been dominating this sport since he was 19. And he can come onto a golf course and control the energy, the people, the focus of an event that he's – likely to miss the cut more so than make the cut in in a way that you just don't see. You don't, you don't get to see the goat of your, you know, we overuse that word anyway, but we don't get to see the best of all time continue to do it and to pop up. Right. Michael Jordan came back and played for the wizards for a couple of years. That wasn't prime Michael Jordan, but it was still cool to see, right? The fact that Tiger Woods in 2019 won the masters, is still, in my opinion, other than a a non-Philly-related sporting event, is my favorite sporting event I've ever witnessed. And I watched that on TV. I wasn't at Augusta. I just watched that shit at home. And that's still how impactful it was. Because Tiger, for whatever reason, transcends a sport that he dominated on a a level that you could probably only ever say, like Wayne Gretzky is probably the only other guy – to ever dominate his respective sport as much as, or his or her respective sport, as much as Tiger did. And the the stretches he went on in his career are not only so breathtakingly stupid, but to go from 1997 all the way up until 2023, and he can still own and dominate a room an event a a, a golf course to the extent that he has is just special you know like i didn't go in thinking tiger was going to win in the back of your head you're thinking damn i really hope he does and for all of tiger's shortcomings which i (laughs) there's no argument there's nothing you can say obviously we know everyone knows what Tiger's shortcomings are that's part of being tiger woods and what he's been for the last 20 years he hasn't always been the best guy. And yet that dude just transcends a sport in a way that no other professional athlete in any other sport can. you know, Tiger Woods was the most famous athlete in the world. And you could look around in, you know, in, in in football and say, oh, Tom Brady's like, oh yeah, but you know, Walter Payton, Barry Sanders, you can go Johnny Unitas, right? Like there's Jack and there's Arnold and there's Gary player and there's Phil and There's some all-time unbelievable golfers, but no one, no one is Tiger Woods. There will never be another Tiger Woods. And there wasn't one before. him. He also came at a time right before the internet really became as significant as it was. Right. And he started at a time similar to Michael Jordan, where everyone could watch and would watch and TV ratings were higher and you just knew what you saw. Like you, you would see a few national games a year and you'd always see Michael Jordan play and you knew. And with Tiger, it's like you would see the majors on TV and then you would watch the majors on TV and it was Tiger and it was Tiger and it was Tiger and it created this unbelievable phenomenon. And now here we are in 2023, when everyone's got HD 4k cameras in their fucking pocket and the dude still transcends the sport in a way that no other athlete will. And, and I think it's so cool to sit and watch a guy be so still competitive at 47 years old and go through the comebacks that he has and battled the health. And he can just show up at Riviera, which is Riviera is a very famous golf course. It's an all-time golf course. It's his tournament that he puts on. And yet he just owns it. Like he's bigger than anything else. Tiger was a bigger story than John Rahm. And John Rahm's put together by the way, one of the most impressive starts to a season we've seen since Tiger. I think I saw a stat that he has beaten 98% of his competitors through the first 6 starts of the season. I mean, talk about flat-out dominance. There's only been eight golfers who've finished ahead of him so far this season. He's won 3 times on the tour already. This is a Tiger-like start and yet all anyone talked about for those 4 days was Tiger until he was done on Sunday. And then everyone focused in on who was going to win it. So what? 85, 90% of the tournament. All anyone wanted to talk about was Tiger Woods, you know, and I'm the kind of guy call fan who will sit down and watch a regular old tournament with or without Tiger Woods. But when Tiger comes on, I have the broadcast that's following Tiger Woods and to see him and JT and Rory out there playing. It's special stuff. It's special stuff. So I thought that was so cool seeing tiger back. He's the goat, you know, he's the goat for a reason. Um, Even if the major championships are less than Jack, even if he never gets that 83rd win, he's still tiger woods. And it's hard to explain because people who aren't golf fans, they might be sports fans, right? They're not golf fans. They still want to make the same jokes. People who are just casual sports fans who don't know anything about golf, they know tiger woods, but they also know, all the baggage and everything else that comes with it. But Tiger still finds a way to be bigger than all of that. And I think now as a 47-year-old, he handles it so much differently than he did then. And I think it's pretty cool to see. Um, But to see Tiger Woods out there going four under on Saturday, two under after the first day, it was cool, man. It was cool. And it'll never not be cool for me. And that might just be a fanboy take. And I'll, I'm cool with that, but I think if you're if you're someone who appreciates sports history and the significance of it, getting a chance to see the best to ever do it, continue to do it, and do it at a high level, is truly special. If you're if you're a lunatic sports fan like like me and like a lot of you listening, so all right, that's all we got. Thank you all for listening. We got more coming. Like I said, hopefully, going to have uh, my buddy Denton Day on the pod on Friday. Uh, I'm traveling out of town this weekend, so that pod might get put up a little bit earlier. Uh, Keep wary of it. Scotty is in Cancun enjoying himself, Vito, traveling somewhere across the country. Um, But thank you all for listening as always. We love you guys, and we will talk to you guys on Friday. Take it easy, everybody.